Try it again. Okay. Yep. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, now... I have no idea who opened the last episode. What was it about? Um, it was about the bike ride. It was a bike ride episode. Okay, I think I opened that one, if I remember correctly. So, did, uh, did I tell you what the Lyme disease in wolves is or not? Nope. Okay, well, good. Well, I don't know. Like, So, we have told them that it's about Lyme disease in wolves... So I don't know if you want to... Okay, James, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) Sure, I can do that. Hello, welcome to For What It's Worth. We're glad to have each of you patrons here with us. And James, I want to know what this is about. Lyme disease, and you told me, has something to do with wolves? Like, (laughs) I'm curious. Yeah. Well, just a quick primer on Lyme disease. So Lyme disease is carried by a tick. Uh, Oftentimes it's called a deer tick. And the reason it's called deer ticks is because it, you can find them on deer. So that's fairly obvious, but not because they're beloved. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. During their life cycle, deer ticks go through, they, they feed on several different animals. So when they hatch from their egg, they're this little thing. I think it's called a nymph, maybe. And they feed mm-hmm. on usually small rodents. And one of the most common rodents is, I think it's called the white-footed mouse. And the white-footed mouse is really important in Lyme disease. So Lyme disease is a bacterium, and it has to live in a host. And mm-hmm. these little mice are... They're basically just teeming with this Lyme disease bacterium. It, it doesn't. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> it doesn't kill them. It just. I think there's a reason why they work really well. Like these mice have really weak immune systems or something, and so they get along uh-huh. well with the bacteria. So the the ticks bite the mice, then they feed a little bit, fall off, and then when they need to grow again, they attach onto another mouse, feed a little bit, fall off, then they attach onto a deer and get their last feeding of blood before they produce their own eggs and kind of start the cycle over again. And so that's the deer is actually the last part of the life cycle. Okay. There were some researchers were not sure what was going on. So the last 20, 15 to 20 years, there's been a pretty substantial increase in Lyme disease cases kind of starting in Virginia, Pennsylvania, up through the Northeast and then also Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, there's a lot of Lyme disease. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of Lyme disease further south and in the west. It's kind of in those two areas okay. is where most of it is. They're trying to figure out what is going on here. Why is there this huge increase in Lyme disease? Well, you would think, okay, they're deer ticks. The more deer there are, the more Lyme disease there is. I mean, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And they did some looking, and they can somewhat determine what deer populations are by using various means. They noticed that as deer populations went up, Lyme disease went up a little bit, but then deer populations continued to increase, but Lyme disease didn't seem to be really linked to that. 
Okay. And I'm maybe getting my facts mixed up a little bit, but just suffice it to say, deer did not seem to be the main reason why Lyme disease was increasing. Then they realized... It wasn't uh, cause and effect there. No, it didn't seem to be. There was a little bit of a relationship, but it wasn't that strong. It didn't seem to be causing most of the Mm -hmm. increase. So then they realized what it was. They did notice that there was an inverse relationship between the number of foxes that were being harvested and Lyme disease. So as as the number of, of foxes that were being trapped went down the Lyme disease went up. It was an inverse relationship. One decreased, the other increased. A direct relationship... Okay. Let me let me catch that again. So you're saying as the population of foxes went down, mm-hmm. Lyme disease went up? That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, now, what do foxes have to do with Lyme disease? I mean, they don't... That's not where the ticks are feeding from. That's not the issue. Well, what it is, is these foxes are one of the prime predators of small rodents like white-footed mice. And Uh if there are not that many foxes, then the population of white-footed mice explodes, which means there's more of reservoirs of these nasty bacteria that can then infect ticks that can go on to deer, that can go on to humans and cause Lyme disease. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, so we've we've now said the, the bacterium is in the mice, and as the foxes the foxes reduce the number of mice, that reduces Lyme disease. But if there's not as many foxes, Lyme disease goes up. All right. Well, then, mm-hmm. what's causing the number of foxes to go down? That's the next question. You kind of mm-hmm. keep you kind of keep following this link all the way back. Yeah, well, yeah. About fifteen to twenty years ago, I remember the first person here in the Shenandoah Valley talking about coyotes. And at that point, it was this exotic animal that you thought was only out in the Great Plains or out west. And now they're moving mm-hmm. into the east. And now they're all over the place. They're yeah. a, a pest. They don't have any natural predators, and so they have spread pretty substantially. And they have a lot of really good habitat that allows them to to thrive here in the east. Well, what it is, there seems to be a relationship between Increase in coyotes causes a decrease of foxes. Hmm. For some reason, foxes and coyotes don't get along very well. And so if there are more foxes, sorry, if there are more coyotes, the number of foxes goes down. And I'm not sure why that mm-hmm. is exactly if the coyotes are eating their food or just driving them off or what. But yeah, th- so the coyotes kind of sweep across the eastern seaboard and drive out the foxes or kill the foxes, then the number of mice goes up, which increases the amount of Lyme disease. Hmm. So you keep keep following that, that chain of events back, that, that chain of causation. Mm-hmm. Well, then you say, okay, well, we followed the chain this far. What caused the coyotes to increase? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a number of factors, but one of them is change in land use, I believe. Coyotes like more open land, I think. And as we have kind of cleared farmland and different things, they have had more ideal habitat here in the east, and so they've moved Mm -hmm. into the east. Also, it's been maybe 100 years or so. There's also the same relationship between coyotes and foxes, where coyotes come in, the foxes leave, 
it's the same thing between yeah. wolves and coyotes. So mm. if there are an increase in wolves, then the number of coyotes goes down, which then increases mm-hmm. the number of foxes, which decreases the number of mice, which decreases the amount of Lyme disease. <laughs> and so if we want to turn around this Lyme disease pandemic, what we need yeah. to do is ship a bunch of wolves from Yellowstone in here to the east to... Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there some sort of, this kind of rings a bell, that there was some sort of initiative to reintroduce wolves into into the eastern seaboard. Was that a thing? Do you know? Well, I do know that they, in the Smoky Mountains, there's the red wolf, I believe, which mm-hmm. is kind of native to that area, but has mostly been wiped out, I think. And they were hoping to, to kind of reintroduce red wolves there. Uh, I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean... They have brought wolves back to Yellowstone National Park. That's the most famous example of that. But they've also brought them back in other areas. And it seems like, I mean, obviously farmers don't like them and they're kind of scary. <laughs> but it right. definitely seems like there is, there's definitely a benefit to having kind of an apex predator to keep kind of the, the middle predators in check. To make sure the, mm-hmm. the foxes and the yeah just, just just to make sure that coyotes and different things like that are, are kept in check. Probably a cla- the most classic example of that is in Yellowstone, like I've mentioned already. In the seventies and eighties, there were so many elk in Yellowstone that they were like stripping all the young trees uh, free of branches, and streams were were kind of uh, the stream banks were getting washed out because there were no tree roots to help help hold up the uh, the banks. Yeah, there was just way, way too many elk. They were starving to death because they didn't have enough food. And they decided to, to reintroduce wolves to the park. And they, they had some pretty major pushback from surrounding ranchers uh, around the national park. But they finally managed to get it pushed through. But after about 15 or 20 years, some pretty astonishing things started to happen there in that ecosystem. Because the wolves were down you know they were they were down kind of in the valleys close to the water to the rivers and which meant that the elk stayed further away from from the rivers and that allowed some of the small trees to grow up beside the streams and kind of stabilize the stream banks which uh-huh. which um, actually helped to to allow uh, for the water to flow more slowly then the trees started growing up and shading the water, which allowed some of the fish that that preferred colder water to kind of move back in. Um, it prevented mm-hmm. a lot of erosion that was washing dirt into the river. Then, because there were trees growing up, then you had beavers started moving in and cutting down these small trees beside the rivers and damming up the rivers and making beaver ponds, which created even more habitats for different animals. Hmm. So... The beavers were impacted by the wolves, the fish, even even the very path of the rivers and the erosion around the rivers was impacted by the reintroduction of wolves because they mm-hmm. they kept the large elk from from eating up all the plant life down there around the rivers. Huh. That is what is called I think the term is a trophic cascade, which simply means oh, okay. that you have this one change which then cascades down through these different levels 
to where it's not just impacting the animal that that directly uh, relates to it, but it's also impacting mm-hmm. you know many many levels down and and spreading out to all these different areas. And to me, that is one of the more fascinating things about nature is how things are so connected. Yeah. I mean, who would have guessed that bringing wolves into Yellowstone would bring the trout back into the rivers? I know, yeah. Or yeah. would would make it be able to, for there to be more beaver ponds and would even change the way the rivers flowed. I mean, it's just astonishing how complex nature is and how everything works together. And even some things mm-hmm. that we we don't really like. We don't like large predators to be in our backyards. And I don't blame the ranchers for not wanting them to be put back in the park. But there definitely seems to to be a reason for those for those predators, whether it's to to help the park or whether it's to possibly prevent Lyme disease. Those uh, those those predators have have a purpose. There there's one book that I read and it's not about Lyme disease and it's not about Yellowstone National Park, but it's about the Great Lakes and this this whole thing of trophic cascade. Mm-hmm. It's called the Life and Death of the Great Lakes. Or no, the Life, Death, and Rebirth of the Great Lakes. I don't have a copy myself, okay. but I borrowed it from the library, and I found pretty much every page fascinating. Over the last uh-huh. 150 years, there have been one invasive species after another has made its way into the Great Lakes. And each time, it drastically changes the entire ecosystem. Hmm. This, um, yeah, this one fish comes in, and it just wipes out a bunch of native fish. So then they introduce this this new fish to, to bring fishermen, and that works great for a decade or so. And then those fish are pretty much wiped out. And then a mussel from the Black Sea comes in and the bilge water from a ship. <laughs> And ends up like coating the entire bottom of the lake and filtering all the water out, uh, and just <laughs> fascinating. So people people think that science and biology is boring. Maybe. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that probably think that, but this is the sort of thing yeah. that gets me excited. Memorizing the parts of a flower is is kind of boring. I'll I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> but this sort of thing here mm-hmm. is is something that I really it really shows that there's complexity, there's design. Almost everything has a purpose in nature. Right. And right. and if you don't if you if you mess things up just a little bit, you simply cannot predict what's going to happen. Yeah, that's that's interesting cuz uh I was substituting at school today and my oldest daughter had to write a paragraph about a rat or a mouse, I forget which it was, it, that was in her literature assignment to write something uh, as if she were writing a letter to her grandparents. And so she wrote the, this a few paragraphs about uh, finding a rat on the farm, etc. And then at the end she said that rats are interesting creatures that God made as a result of Adam and Eve sinning and <laughs> and the the fall of man or something to that effect. So she thinks that <laughs> that rats are bad and mm-hmm. sin is bad and those things must have happened together. But yeah, it, it's a great uh, the great circle of life. Everything it's it's incredible how it all ties together. We yeah, can see it, it. yeah, it really is. 
Yeah, as far as, as whether rats and ticks and mosquitoes are a result of the fall, <laughs> I don't think they are. I think I think that they possibly, it could be that when they were originally, so everything fell at the fall. It wasn't just mankind that, that fell into sin and, and fell mm-hmm. away from God. I believe that creation also became fallen. That's why we have diseases and cancer and birth defects and all the things that we deal with. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's also animals that fell as well. It could be the mosquito didn't suck blood. Maybe it sucked plant juice or something. Or maybe the rat was another rodent, just like groundhogs Mm -hmm. or capybaras. (laughs) Which I'm I'm trying to think, are capybaras rodents? I'm not positive. Um, I, I yeah, think capybaras, I yeah. think, or how you say it. Yeah. And I think they're the largest rodent in the rodent family. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, it, it could be that just like we've fallen away from God and from our original purpose, that there's parts of creation that also fell away from their original purpose. And so what we're seeing yeah. is, is a result of the fall. So all those things, all these ravenous wolves chasing down elk and killing them, <laughs> was that part of the original creation? I don't know. I'm thinking maybe not, but yeah. But still, God is able to to work in even fallen mankind, and no doubt He can work in fallen nature to bring about what is best. Take that for what it's worth. 